0: Hello, and a warm welcome to the Expanding Eyes podcast. Last week, we had a little Christmas interlude because Christmas was on a Sunday when these episodes appeared. I decided it would be in order to celebrate by discussing Milton's great Christmas poem, The Nativity Ode. This week, we return to the discussion we had been having before that of Milton's tragic drama, Samson Agonistes. And because of the hiatus, it is perhaps even more apropos than usual to remind ourselves and recap a little what we had discussed so far. Samson Agonistes is built on the Greek model of drama And Greek drama is structured by scenes that consist, to oversimplify a little, but basically consist of the dialogue between two characters followed by a choral ode sung and danced by a chorus that is usually at once a character in the drama taken as a single character and a collective group. And here in Samson Agonistes, that collective group is Samson's own tribe out of the Israelites, the tribe of Dan, the Danites. And each time one of these scenes takes place, dialogue followed by a choral ode, we mark a milestone in the structure and there happen to be five of them here, so that at the same time, clearly, deliberately, Milton is also structuring Samson Agonistes simultaneously on the model of a five-act Shakespearean tragedy, even though the prose note at the beginning of the play makes clear that Milton does not approve of the Shakespearean theater. He finds it vulgar and catering to mass preferences, and prefers the elite and more artistic form of the Greek. Nonetheless, Shakespeare has an early poem expressing deep admiration for Shakespeare, and there is a five-act structure here, and it's very important to see it because it describes the arc of the plot through these five hidden acts. Just as in a Shakespearean tragedy, in the five acts, the third act is typically what, when I teach, I call the hinge act. There is a hinge there, and the action takes a turn at that point. In an ordinary tragic structure, that tragic structure is an inverted U-shape, often drawn on the board, By teachers, the tragic hero rises like a rocket going up into the sky, turns in the hinge act, there is a fatal turn in the action, and the rest of the play plunges down into catastrophe. Samson, however, in addition to being modeled on Greek drama, is modeled on a very different pattern because in Samson Agonistes, the disaster has already happened. Samson has fallen. He has not died, but he is a prisoner of his great enemies, the Philistines. He is blinded, and he is working the mill with slaves. It's already happened. It's over before the play has even begun. The reason is that This is a very different type of tragedy, which actually does have a classical analogue. Oedipus at Colonus is the most famous example, especially apropos, because of its blinded hero. And the U-shape is still there, but it's an inverted U-shape. Not the same as the inverted U-shape of comedy because you could hardly say that the ending of Samson Agonistes is a happy ending. It certainly isn't, if you ask the Philistines. And as for happy, triumphant might be what we could say about the end of Samson, because, of course, he pulls the temple down on the Philistines, kills all of them, but kills himself in the process. And, in fact, it was a favorite theological debating quibbling point whether Sampson could be accused of suicide because he surely knew that he was going to be killing himself by following through with this action. Nonetheless, it is a moment of triumph, and Samson is redeemed after having totally blown it in the rest of his life and career which is where we find him. We find him close to hitting rock bottom, and in what amounts to Act Three, in this play, which is a dialogue with Delilah, his estranged wife, he does hit rock bottom. The bitterness is intense, almost incalculable. And he is close to suicide in feeling... If not in action. Milton is clearly intending us to see that this man is suicidal in mood, if not in act. Act one, so called, which runs from the opening of the play to around line 331, begins with a soliloquy of Samson's. Giving some backstory and speaking painfully, hauntingly, of the worst thing that he suffers, which is his blindness. Oh, dark, dark, dark line by, echoed by T.S. Eliot in four quartets. The first act consists of a dialogue with the chorus itself. And in fact, this act, which we discussed last time, two weeks ago. In this act, Samson defends himself in terms of that which he has done which is defensible, and we have to see that clearly. We have to see exactly what he is guilty of and what he is not, and he forces the chorus to see it as well. He does not feel guilty, he does not take responsibility for the failure of his two marriages. Samson Agonistes is a play about failure and the failure of Samson is across the board. As I said last time, he has failed in every area of his life that matters to him. He's failed politically in his life as God's warrior and he has failed in not one, but two marriages. Delilah is actually, in terms of the play, his second wife. And here he is, nevertheless, saying when the chorus suggests, tries to suggest tactfully, that maybe marrying Philistine women was a wee bit of a mistake that maybe you uh, have exercised some poor judgment. And in this, the chorus is playing the role. Uh, In the book of Job, of Job's friends, the book of Job is not echoed consciously the way it constantly is in the companion piece to Samson Agonistes, which is Paradise Regained. Nevertheless, the situation of Job is echoed covertly and constantly throughout Samson and the chorus and Samson's father Manoah, well-meaning like Job's friends in the book of Job, well-meaning and yet wrong-headed and we have to see clearly in order to judge Samson clearly exactly what is defensible and what is not and Samson is quite right all the way down the line. At least we have to take it this way. He defends himself for marrying not once but twice a woman who comes from the enemy because of emotion within. We have to read Samson an Old Testament character Nevertheless, in the light of the kind of inner light Protestantism that Milton himself espoused, everything in Samson that is an action, an external action, we only hear by report. And this is in the tradition of Greek drama where nothing happened on stage. It's all by report, it's all by speech in one way or the other. But what Greek drama normally does not have is what we have here, a hero whose real motivator is something within. And therefore, all we can do in trying to judge Samson, we are not privy to this movement of the spirit, this voice from God inside Samson all we can do is trust that it's real and the only proof we have of it is what it makes Samson do which is not proof at all because to us it would be perfectly possible to see Samson as self-deluded and in fact eventually especially at the end of the play this becomes a little bit uncomfortable because Samson basically could be construed by an unsympathetic view of him as the kind of suicidal terrorist with which since 9-11 and so many others we have become all too familiar, totally fanatically convinced that they have been given a message from God commanding them to do this. Nonetheless, that doesn't fit to argue that would be to argue against a lot of clues in the play that this is not the frame of mind some sort of ferocious fanaticism is not the frame of mind that we are getting from these great speeches of samson so we have to look carefully at those speeches and see what we are getting at any rate here Samson says around line 231 when he justifies his second marriage to a Philistine woman, to Delilah, I thought it lawful from my former act and the same end. And what he means by that is that he has already said his marriage to the first wife, who poor woman doesn't even get a name, she's just known as the woman of Timnah, Not Milton's fault, really, because she didn't get a name in the original story in the book of Judges. But he married the woman of Timnah because, as he says, what I motioned was of God. It was not from me. It was of God. Why? Line 224, that by occasion thence I might begin Israel's deliverance. God has a plan. And only Samson knows that, and he knows it within and can't prove that to us. But in both cases, God has prompted what normally would be utterly forbidden and totally forbidden to Samson, who is a Nazarite, someone who took a special vow of purity It would be definitely a no-no for him to twice marry a woman of the enemy, the heathen, idol-worshipping enemy. It would be virtually blasphemous, except God has a plan. And this leads to a choral ode which overtly echoes the opening of Paradise Lost, line 294. God's ways are justifiable to man. Just are the ways of God, the chorus says, and justifiable to men. Clearly an echo of the earlier poem. Yet, the chorus goes on to say, more there be who doubt his ways not just. As to his edicts found contradicting, Oh, yes, well, there is that. But that's because we're arguing according to reason. God's ways are justifiable. But, and this is perhaps, at least in its overtness, a new wrinkle in Milton, at least it's not played this way, so explicitly in Paradise Lost, justifiable, but not through reason. Down reason then, at least vain reasonings down. That's what the chorus arrives at, at least in Act 1. And we have to be careful. This is drama. Things change. Therefore, characters' moods change. And as their moods change, they are perfectly capable, here as they are in Shakespeare, of saying utterly contradictory things from this thing that they said two acts previously. So we have to be very careful, one, in assuming that any character, whether it's the chorus or Samson, is expressing Milton's own philosophy or theology or opinions, and whether even those opinions will be found to be the opinion of the play as a whole by the end. Things sway back and forth, the perspective changes, and therefore characters draw varying and sometimes conflicting conclusions. Here, the chorus rather confidently and rather high-handedly says, Oh, of course. The ways of God are justifiable to men, and if they're not reasonably justifiable, well, down reason then. Easy to say, though we perhaps will grant, that the Course has reason to, no pun intended, to speak that way because if anything does not sound rationally justifiable, It's the plot of Samson Agonistes, which is a rearrangement of the plot of the Samson episodes in the Book of Judges. In fact, a plot summary sounds a bit crazy, and this is God's plan, really? And we find ourselves thinking that at various points, and Milton intends that. He's not forcing it because the craziness The seeming contradictions and basically what-the-hell moments are back in the Book of Judges. He is simply using them. But there you have it. Justifiable? Well, not by reason. This is a God who can't be confined by the rules. He is, as I said last time, a trickster God. And Samson is something of a trickster hero to that god. And I don't think I'm forcing that characterization. Commentators feel that the original Samson stories go back to or owe a lot to folktale material and perhaps trickster folktale material, making it a little bit like perhaps The Odyssey in that way. Nonetheless, the issue of justification has arisen, and whatever we think of it, this was God's plan. We don't quite figure, okay, well, why is that God's plan until we get more of the backstory in Act Two, and we move to Act Two this time. With the entry of Manoah, Samson's father, who comes upon the stage, Poor old man, miserable at the state of his son. Once the great hero of the Israelites, of which as a father he was so proud. Now, line 340, he cries out, seeing his son blind, working at the mill with slaves. Oh, miserable change! And once again, if you followed through our discussion of Paradise Lost, a pretty clear echo on Milton's part of leitmotif words in that poem. The change, that word is echoed in Satan's speeches in the first two books of Paradise Lost. And oh, what a change. And he... You know, good father that he is, he's miserable about this. And he begins to blame God for, you know, what has been happening to my poor son. And Samson cuts his father short. Now we reach the area where I am guilty and I do take responsibility. So author I. Don't blame God, soul author I, soul cause. I was justified in marrying those two women because that was a motion from God within me. What I was not justified, and the rest of Act 2 harps on this, what I was not justified in was in allowing those women to betray me allowing those women to ferret out a secret that I should never have given them out of my own weakness. And we get a tale of the rather wild and certainly complicated backstory of Samson's first marriage to the woman of Timnah. And it is, to make a long story short, It is summarized best as a kind of chain reaction. This happens and therefore this happens. Samson is at the wedding with his Philistine bride and trickster figure. Here he goes just to play with their heads, apparently, or perhaps you could say as part of the God's plan mentality, he sets a riddle to the Philistines at the wedding feast. And the riddle is famous. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. What does that mean? It means that Samson, walking along, came upon the corpse of a dead lion in which honeybees had excavated and built a nest with honeycombs. Out of the eater came forth meat, out of the strong the lion came forth sweetness to honey. So yeah, right, who's going to guess that one? Easy win. Except that he told the answer to the woman of Timnah, and she trotted right over to her fellow Philistines and told them the answer. So he lost the riddle and therefore had to pay up. So next element in the chain reaction, he kills 30 Philistines in order to take their garments, their raiment to pay off his lost bet. Well, back and forth, revenge encounter revenge. Because of that, The Philistines give his bride to his best man. In revenge for that, in a famous, though rather uncomfortable, episode, Samson takes a bunch of foxes, ties their tails together, sets fire to their tails, and I'm afraid that, yes, animals were harmed in the making of this film, and sends them running in panic, through the Philistines' fields, and burns down all their fields. In counter-revenge for that, both on their own account, and on the account of some rather disgruntled foxes with no tails left, you burn our foxes in our fields, we burn your bride. They bu- they burn the woman of Timna, which is what happens when you hang around Samson. We may remember that when Samson is ranting and screaming at Delilah. This is what you get when you get caught up in the game. In revenge for the burning of his bride, Samson performs one of his great feats, the slaughter of half the philistine army with the jawbone of an ass at a place called ramath lehi and apparently we are to assume that was god's plan all of that in order to produce some great military victory with the jawbone of an ass well why didn't you say so if you wanted me to slay all those people why didn't you say so in the first place but this is not a god rationalizable, not a God that can be defended by any easy kind of reason at any rate. Therefore, he was justified in the marriage, but not justified in giving away the secret of the riddle. And out of his own mouth, you know, he did it again. He married a woman Again, a woman of the enemy, Delilah, is a Philistine. Again, he has a secret. This time it's the secret of his great superhero strength. And it's bound up with the fact of his long hair. As a Nazarite, he took a vow never to cut his hair. That was a Nazarite vow. This was a real thing. But he told this to Delilah. Delilah. And Delilah, again, obediently went over to the Philistines and said, Okay, I will cut his hair while he's asleep, and you can come in and take him. She betrays him. She purely and simply betrays him. They seize upon him. His strength is gone because she has cut his hair. They blind him. And in a bitter remark around line 419 that was true blindness poor manoa trying to comfort his son but simply having to blurt out i shouldn't be laughing in a tragedy especially not a greek tragedy that's what milton hated about shakespearean tragedy that it mixed comic material in with the tragic but when manoa says I cannot praise thy marriage choices, son. I always have to laugh. Yeah, this is true. But Manoah follows up on that by saying one thing right, and that is now all that's over, and it's cleared the field, so to speak. Now you're out of the picture as the hero, no more middleman, Now it's purely God, Yahweh, versus Dagon, the half-fish, half-humanoid God of the Philistines. They were a seagoing people, and the imagery of Samson Agonistes is full of maritime and ship and sea and serpent imagery. Manoah leaves the scene He is going to try to negotiate a ransom. He's going to try to bargain with the Philistines to bring Samson home on the grounds that Samson is now harmless and he's declining in his slavery. What harm could it do to bring his son home and take care of him? Samson returning almost to the state of a cared-for dependent child. Simpson says don't bother around line 487 he is reaching that dark almost suicidal state not that he is thinking about going through with it but as he says in line 648 hopeless are all my all my evils and these dark orbs no more shall treat with light nor the other light of life continue long but yield to double darkness nigh at hand so much i feel my genial spirits droop that is lines 590 to 95. i feel as if i'm declining I'm not going to commit suicide. I'm simply am unable emotionally to go on anymore. He has what amounts to a kind of a death wish. And this is the darkest of the dark moments, and it elicits a very different response in the choral ode this time the Third Choral Ode that ends what amounts to Act Two, which begins by echoing the Book of Job. The torment of Samson paralleled to the torment of Job, who also cursed the day on which he was born. And the chorus... Echoes Job saying in line 667, God of our fathers, what is man that thou towards him with hands so various, or might I say contrariest, temperest thy providence through his short course? This is very different. This is why I say we have to be careful not to take anything the chorus says. The chorus is not the voice of truth in Greek drama or certainly not in this play either. It is a character, it is fallible and suffers mood swings. The confident, justified are the ways of God have now backlashed into almost an opposite mood and again the parallel with Job. Job refuses, Job's friends in the book of Job say, you must have done something, think hard Job, you must have done something sinful or offensive to God. And Job's response is, no, I may not be perfect, but nothing I have done warrants this, this utter destruction. And that is true, And the chorus sees it here around line 690, unseemly false in human eye, too grievous for the trespass or omission. And he's speaking generally of things that happen to people, not just to Samson, but to people. Lots of people, unseemly false, too grievous for the trespass or omission. No, you must have sinned, explains this. And just or unjust alike seem miserable, for oft alike both come to evil end. So the chorus has just utterly veered and contradicted itself, and yet can be sympathized with in both of its moods. That's why we have to go beyond mere reason, and the obvious conclusion is this, because that is not going to take us to the end in this play it seems however at that point that it can't go any further into the darkness well careful what you wish for in comes the ex-wife act three delilah enters around line 732 and we get the third act so-called, a dialogue between two people who were once married to each other. This is Scenes from a Marriage, to quote the title of the famous production by Ingmar Bergman, Scenes from a Divorce, from the author of Four Divorce Tracts. Milton never did divorce mary powell his estranged first wife but this amounts to a divorce not necessarily in the legal sense but clearly these two are severed and they're not over it they come to argue with each other what good can come of this because this is the hinge act we have to ask ourselves next week what good does come of this on the surface it sounds like the kind of embittered mutual screaming match that we know all too well from divorces in our time but something if we're going to credit the master plan of a trickster god maybe something that does not meet the eye is going on here, and we will go to examine that next time.